Hey guys. So if you listen to my podcast at all, you know that religion does come up. So this wouldn't be surprising to you, but I just want to give you a heads up that on the topic today of toxic leadership, we do get into religion because my guest today is Mark Tinsley. He is a pastor and we're both in that Christian culture and we have a lot of examples of toxic leadership within the church and organizations. So that does come up. I don't think it's surprising to you if when you hear this, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. All right, on to my chat with Mark. Welcome to the Stuff Up podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. And today we welcome Mark Tinsley. Mark, welcome to the Stuff Up podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mark is a, oof, you're a pastor, musician, soldier, professor, podcaster. What don't you do, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't done a lot of podcasts recently, but uh, I appreciate you having me on your show. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So we're going to be talking about toxic leadership, which is very exciting. And it's something that... I find very fascinating. I think most people do because generally we all know somebody or have worked in an, in a place where there was a toxic leader in some aspects. So tell me, Mark, what is the definition of toxic leadership, really? What does it mean? I think, you know, I don't know what the textbook <laughs> definition of it is, and there's probably many of them out there. But as I've been studying this topic Toxic leadership is anything that leaders are doing that damage the organization or the individuals in the organization. And of course, if you're damaging the individuals in the organization, then the organization is going to suffer as well. So it's anything that we do as leaders that hurts the people that work in our organization or that hurts our organization. And I can differentiate between that as we go through the the podcast. So, yeah, that's a good definition because a lot of times it's because when we think of toxic leadership, I guess a lot of times we think of this angry person who's right just yelling at everybody, but that's not necessarily true. So damaging could be a variety of things. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm in the midst of writing a book on toxic leadership. And yeah, that's one of the things I bring out and try to highlight in the book is yeah, toxic leadership can be the angry leader, the manager, the supervisor, whomever, who comes in, slams the doors, yells at us, calls us names. That's certainly a, a form of toxic leadership. But, you know, that's not the most common type of toxic leadership in the workplace or in a volunteer organization or wherever, wherever leaders are found. The more common types are the incompetent leader. You know, incompetence can damage individuals. It can damage the organization. Mm -hmm. The subversive leader, the one who's trying to undermine his or her employees, maybe they're threatened by an employee. And so they do some, they use backstabbing techniques to try to undermine the employee. The incompetent leader, the one who doesn't know his or her job at all or not very well. We've all had type of leader. That leader can damage individuals. That leader can damage the organization. So there's lots of <laughs> different types of toxic leadership. And any one of them can be detrimental to the organization, normally by way of harming or hurting 
the individuals who work for the organization. Mm, definitely. I think the incompetent manager or boss we see a lot of times on TV. Have you ever seen the show, The IT Crowd? I'll have to write it down. IT Crowd. Oh, I just recently watched it on Netflix. And yeah, it's a British show. And it's about basically the IT department. Their boss was so incompetent. He didn't even know what, like he would go down to the basement, which is where they worked. And he would just be like, wait, what area am I in? Who are you people? (laughs) (laughs) That is cool. It was so funny. But, you know, we see that a lot. It's like the goofy kind of boss who's just, the employees have to pick up and do everything because the boss is so bad. Yeah, and it does. You didn't mean this, but it doesn't have to be a goofy person. It could be a person that we like. It could be a person who has a great personality and maybe even builds rapport with the employees. But the person's incompetence will bring down the organization because eventually individuals will become frustrated with this person, maybe demotivated by this person because they're having to work for this person. But this person doesn't know their job well enough to lead. And so they may like the person and not consider the person, him or herself, to be toxic. But in fact, they are toxic by virtue of their incompetence and inability to lead. Oh, that's true. Usually, I guess I think usually of the goofy type, but. (laughs) And the goofy type is definitely one. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I go to the extreme sometimes with what I picture things are. No, but you, you're right. That would be the stereotypical incompetent boss would be the one who's just kind of goofy and no one has any respect for it on any level. Yeah. And I've certainly worked. I've worked for that type of a boss before, unfortunately. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been pretty lucky or blessed. I've had a lot of managers that I've gotten along well with, and they were the type that coached me rather than right. told me what I had to do all the time. And they were very fun too, which is always helpful to have in, a, in an environment Absolutely, as well. <laughs> a lot of times I think we don't understand because there's a difference between a boss, which a lot of times we kind of think it's the same thing, a boss and a leader. So a leader is, is the creme de la creme of supervisors and folks who are guiding and directing us. A leader is someone who motivates provides vision. In the army, we said it was a person, leadership was providing purpose, direction, and motivation. So you brought, you provide purpose. Why are we doing this? What's the big picture? Direction, you, you provide guidance on how to do it. And motivation, you engage the will and say, hey, you want to do this, don't you? So it's purpose, what? Direction, guidance, and motivation, the will inspiration to do the work. So that's a leader. And again, you know, that's the pinnacle. That's what we want. That's the ideal. That's the gold standard. Let me go to one more definition, a manager. A manager is someone who just takes tasks and says, we've got to get this task done. And here are the steps that we need to do to get this task. And the manager then goes and engages people in completing those tasks. A manager can be a leader because a manager can take those tasks and provide purpose, direction, and motivation. But oftentimes what we see is that managers don't do that. They just go up to people and say, hey, we got to get this done. So you do this, you do this, and you do this. And people scatter and they go do it. So a manager doesn't necessarily give purpose, direction, and motivation. And quite frankly, maybe they don't need to in certain contexts. You know, hey, the people know that they're just there to divvy out the tasks and everybody just does what they're supposed to do. 
hopefully there's a leader in that chain somewhere above the managers, right? So that there's someone providing purpose, direction, and motivation. But now let's go to a boss. I think a boss generally carries a negative connotation to it because it doesn't have to, I, I realize. But I think when people say a boss, they're typically just talking about someone who is a one-way leader a one or manager or one-way communicator. Someone who says, this is what we're going to do and just shut up and do it, right? They're kind of, as it were, bossing us around, throwing the weight of their position around to get the work done, not necessarily providing purpose, direction, and motivation. I very rarely hear the word boss used in a, with a positive connotation to it. <laughs> right. You know, people say, oh, he's my boss or she's my boss. There's always that tinge of negativity in the voice. I guess it doesn't have to be, and everybody may use that word differently, but I see a boss in a stereotypical sense anyway, as someone who's just directing but not listening that much. Mm. They've got a job to do and they're going to do it. So a boss would probably be more on the line of a manager, mm -hmm. whereas a leader is that, again, that gold standard of purpose, direction, and motivation. I really love that purpose, direction, and motivation. Yeah, that's not original. That's the Army definition. Okay, well, they're smart. <laughs> the U.S. Army, I should say, because you're in Canada, so... I'm in Canada. I don't even know what the Canadian motto is. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really talk that much about the army here. It's a different culture. We don't really know a lot of what's going up in Canada. Well, I was talking to somebody about politics and I said, well, we follow you guys all the time. And we, we, it's everywhere, right? Like we follow all the talk shows and everything in the States anyway. But I said, our prime ministers are pretty, usually kind of boring. We don't even know half the time what their wives' names are. It's really interesting, <laughs> but yours are always so entertaining. And then there's Donald J. Trump. <laughs> Talk about, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I better not go there. Yeah, that's another podcast. He's a great example. But the motivation is really, like, I love how Simon Sinek talks about finding our, our why, finding our purpose. And I look back at most of the jobs I've had, and I didn't really have a purpose or anything. It was just like, get the job done. You know, we kind of have some laughs at work, but there was no sense of a purpose in it. Right. And I think that's really important for your employees to feel like they need to, to feel led in they're doing something of importance. Yes. And I really think that's where most leaders fail or people who are aspiring to be leaders. If you don't meet all three of those criteria, you're really a manager. You drop down to that next category of a manager. I think a lot of people in leadership positions are good at directing. You know, people make it to leadership positions because, you know, they have an ability to organize and people see that and they promote them. So the direction part is typically not a problem for most people in leadership positions. But the other two are. And I would say that even motivation is more people in leadership positions are able to provide motivation than they are purpose or don't provide purpose. For example, I've been around a lot of leaders who, who are good at directing me and they're good at motivation to a certain extent. Again, they'll have great personalities. They'll be fun to work with, et cetera. But where I've seen the most deficit over the years in the majority of leaders is the ability to provide purpose. That's what you're talking about a second ago. It's this ability to say, hey, folks, this is the big picture of what we're doing here. And this is why we're doing it. I very rarely see leaders that do that well. 
that provide that purpose to their people. I mean, all the way down to the grassroots level in the organization of why we're doing what we're doing and what the big picture is of our mission. Again, most people in leadership positions are pretty good at directing. Many are pretty good motivators, at least that they have that ability. But man, so few provide that purpose. And you know, it's probably because, Stephanie, it's probably because they've not been provided purpose from their leadership. So they don't know what to say. They don't know what the purpose is, so they can't pass it on. Right. You were on another podcast with Scott McCarthy. Mm -hmm. And you guys were talking about the education because I think a lot of people are promoted to management because they have this degree. And right. there's got to be something lacking in our education where it's not, they're not teaching about how to be a good leader. It's more about here's what you need to do to do this, but they're not talking about the aspects of being a good leader. Do you find that to be true? Yes. I think we're quick to promote people who have high levels of education. When we see that PhD or that master's degree or that certification, uh, that's the gold standard in our industry. We'd say, oh, okay, this person obviously has motivation. They're, they're internally motivated. Uh, they're obviously intelligent because they have this degree or the certification. So then obviously this person must be a good leader. The problem with leadership or, or that philosophy of promotion, I guess is a better way to say it, is that it doesn't take into account one salient truth of leadership. And that is this, that leaders are made and are grown through experience. They're cultivated through experience. Most people cannot gain the experience and the testing through the fire of leadership that they need to become good leaders in a short amount of time. That type of growth requires years, maybe even decades to cultivate and to refine. But what I'm finding, at least in America, I don't know if it's the same in Canada, I don't know if it's the same around the world, but I'm sure it is, is that we want to promote young leaders fast. And the reason is we feel like young people have this energy and this spontaneity and this ability to motivate and inspire people. And so we want to get them in leadership positions as quickly as possible because we, we want our organizations to benefit from that energy and that inspiration. The problem is very few young, young leaders. I'm not saying young people aren't smart. I'm not saying that they don't have inherent abilities. What I'm saying is very few of them have gone through the fire long enough to harden and catalyze all those strengths into excellent leadership ability. And so what happens is, I think so often in many industries, is that we promote young people too quickly. They get into these positions and then they flounder because they just don't have the experience to deal with it. And then we wonder, well, why, why is this person having such struggle? They're obviously smart. They're obviously motivated. They're obviously have inspiring personality types, but yet our organization is suffering. Why is that? And I think the answer is pretty simple. It's because you've put this person, you've given this person far too much responsibility too quickly and just don't have the experience to back it up. That's really interesting that you say that, Mark. I've been listening to a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Right. And I don't know if people have heard of Mark Driscoll. He was a pastor and they're talking about the, his church and how it, I remember that was what, the early 2000s when it was really popular. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. And on the podcast, they're talking about how 
And this happens with a lot of, in the Christian community as well, you hear like Carl Lentz, right? The pastor from Hillsong. Right. They're so cool and everyone loves them, but they're so young and they don't have this, like all of a sudden they're famous and they're, they're authority figures. And then it's like, but they weren't really, they didn't have enough experience to really handle all that. Well, and now when you talk about faith, you add an, e- an even more important element or salient element maybe, and that is maturity in one's faith. Not only do these young mega church pastors have little leadership experience, but more importantly, they've not meant most of them. I'm not saying all of them, please. I don't want anybody listening to think that I'm saying I'm making a blanket statement, but so many of them have not firmly grounded themselves in their faith. And that's why you're seeing these young pastors at these big churches like Hillsong and Mark Driscoll and others, they have these one appear to be wonderfully fruitful ministries. And they seem to be so well grounded in their faith. And then suddenly they fall, or in some cases, they renounce the faith. And you're like, what is going on? Well, what's going on is they never got their stakes firmly planted in the ground. They didn't go through that fire of faith, that refining process, that testing process that scripture talks about. And so because they didn't do that, now suddenly they're the leaders of these mega churches and they just can't handle it. And it's sad because I feel like folks like Mark Driscoll and the pastor of Hillsong there, I can't remember his name. You mentioned it, but I can't remember it right now. Carl Lentz. Yes. Maybe if they were given another 10 or 15 or 20 years of experience and and building their own faith, maybe, I don't know this, but maybe there would have been a different result because I do believe that so many of these pastors as leaders in the secular world that are placed into positions of higher leadership too soon, this is speculation, but I believe in my heart that the majority of them want to do a good job when they start out. They have good intentions. They have pure goals and, and drive. But because they're placed in these positions too quickly, too soon, the absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And they can't handle it and they fall. I'm not saying that if everybody waited for X number of years, everything would be fine. But I do believe that if we weren't so quick to promote people uh, into positions of leadership, and if we were looking instead of for coolness and youth, if we were looking for experience and wisdom, that organizations would fare a lot better. I also think, and I've heard this from a variety of people, uh, like talking about Christian leaders, you know, you've got your Ravi Zacharias and well, you're very familiar with uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. But I, I keep hearing about this. There was no accountability. And if you have these leaders who, and I have to admit, I'm the same. Like when I look up to these Christian leaders, I met Ravi once or twice and I was like, oh, it's Ravi Zacharias. Like he's like my idol, not my idol, but you know what I mean? Like I put him up on this pedestal. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. And we do that. And so when something happens, people are like, no, he would never do that. But there's no accountability team around them. So they allow, like they get caught up in their own belief about themselves and that they get away with things. So when leaders, there needs to be accountability with people that they trust around them to say, to keep them on on the, the steady road, right? Absolutely. I mean, we are all tempted in life and leadership. We're all tempted to do the wrong thing. And if the right controls are not in place to check our actions, check, even check our thoughts in some cases, certainly to check our desires, 
any one of us can fall from grace, as it were, mm-hmm. or make tremendously damaging mistakes in our leadership based on our own pride, our desires, our greed, or whatever it may be. So absolutely, those controls are what you were talking about, accountability. There need to be people around every leader who are not watching them like hawks, but are walking alongside them, providing direction, providing encouragement, providing correction where needed, and just just there, watching the organization, watching the person to be sure things are always on the up and up and that that the person is leading with the right motivations and the right actions based on those motivations. You mentioned Jerry Falwood Jr. I'm intimately, was intimately involved in that because I was a, an employee, in fact, a higher administrator at the university during his tenure. And that's absolutely the problem. The root problem at Liberty University is and was that the president, Jerry Falwell Jr., did not have any accountability. And the current president really doesn't have any accountability because you've got a board of trustees in place that is just made up of people who are rubber stampers. They're just there to agree with whatever the president wants. And that's not good because all of us are fallible. And all of us are going to make mistakes. And we need those people around us to go, hey, Stephanie, or hey, Mark, you know, I see what you want to do there, but that's just not right. That's not in accordance with our organization's vision or mission or goals. It's not in accordance with good business practice. It's not ethical. It's not moral or whatever the case may be to check us, pull us back, pull in the reins so that we don't take ourselves, others, and the organization down errant paths. And that absolutely is not, that kind of accountability is absolutely not in place at Liberty University. It absolutely was not in place at Ravi Zachariah Ministries. That's one of the reasons why these men fell. I firmly believe that Jerry Falwell did not go into the presidency at Liberty University thinking, hey, this is my playground. I'm going to do whatever I want. Just like I don't believe (laughs) Ravi Zacharias said, hey, I'm a big time name now. I'm going to go sexually assault women. I don't think any of that was in their mind at any point. but. The temptation came, there was no accountability, and then they fell. It goes back to that little cliche I shared about five minutes ago. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then it always starts with like a little something and then they got away with that. And then yep. you're like, well, I got away with that. I can try this and this and this. Absolutely. Well, one thing I've noticed, especially in the Christian world, is there will be people who will, and I get it. because Okay, there's people who criticize or say, well, we got to be careful of this. And you got people who are going to criticize everything. And I kind of grew up in a very critical environment. So I get it. But when you have certain mega churches or not even mega churches, just if you've got people saying there's something wrong here and they're like, no, you can't say anything. This pastor is God put him there. The Holy Spirit is at work here. And that's of Satan. You can't say that. You got a problem because then you've got these churches and their leaders who really can't say anything. Right. If the pastor is saying something, there's like, no, you can't say that about the pastor. You can't say what they're saying is wrong because you're wrong. And so that's the, well, that's the accountability thing again. Right. Well, and I think the thing about contemporary Christianity is that we've built this lie into the Christian culture that we can't air any of our dirty laundry because if people see, if they see our dirty laundry in the church, They're going to assume that Christ is dirty and they're not going to want to be a part of it. So we've got to hide 
behind a facade of perfection. We've got to pretend like nothing bad ever happens in the church. Therefore, so that Christ is reflected positively all the time to culture. So there, I think that motivation mm-hmm. has some roots of purity because we, we want Christ to be represented well. But the problem with that is dirt always rises, right? I mean, you can only hide the dirt in your house for so long. Eventually, it's going to start to creep up through the carpet and in the corners and, and other places. And your house is just going to be dirty. If you're not cleaning up the dirt periodically, it's going to eventually show. And then you're going to have a real mess to clean up once it starts to show. And I feel like that's the church needs to learn this. First of all, it's deceitful not to be honest, right? It's deceitful to hide and lie. But beyond that, the practical thing of, hey, folks, listen, you can hide this dirt right now, maybe, but it's eventually going to come out. It always does. And when it does, then it's going to be a major problem. Whereas if we would just deal with the problems within the church when they arise, for example, when the Jerry Falwell Jr.'s start to show their true colors and you start to see deceit and lies and malfeasance, misfeasance, sexual indiscretion, and all the things that he was showing, you take care of it right then. You put them on a leave of absence. You, you discipline them in some way and do it publicly. I mean, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you know, call the newspaper, but just do it. Don't try to hide it. I think it actually has the opposite effect. It shows culture that we're not deceitful, that we are dealing with our problems. And it shows, again, honesty. And that and transparency, which I believe would reflect very positively on the church. And if we're truly preaching the message of Christ mm-hmm. to the culture, we shouldn't be ashamed of doing that because Christ said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He didn't mince any words. He said, everybody's a sinner. So why do we try to hide it? I don't understand that, right? But then the, the opposite side of that message, Christ said, but because you are a sinner, all you have to do is repent. Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. So at the same time that Christ says you're all sinners, he also says, I have a solution for that sin. And it's confession and belief in me. So if the church would really believe in that and, and just confess it, you know, I mean, admit its sins because we're all sinners and then confess those sins. In other words, deal with them publicly if necessary. Just deal with them. That really represents in a practical, overt way, the gospel message of you're a sinner, but Christ can take care of that sin. But what do we do in the church? We hide it all. We act like that Romans 3.23 doesn't exist, that all have not sinned and are not fall short of the glory of God. That's what we want to pretend in the church. And the culture knows that that's not true. Culture knows what scripture says. They know that scripture says we're all sinners. And when the church tries to put on the, you know, wear the the facade that we are not all sinners, then it's a lack of authenticity and people pick up on that immediately. That's actually one of the things I heard about what happened with Carl Lentz. There was, I don't know if it was one guy or probably a group of people with the board of directors and they were like, we got to say something. No, 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 no. Like Carl has all the celebrities and if the celebrities come, you know, then the world knows more about uh, about Jesus and about Hillsong and they'll come. but. Yeah. Then the leaders fall and it's this big thing all over the news. And then it's the darker side. I know that I have to say this because I know some of the listeners would be like, well, yeah, Mark, but so there would a lot of them would say this, but there's a lot of negative motivation for a reputation, fame and fortune and all that. And I think that's the dark side of all this. You know, I've been presenting it so far that it's the church just wanting to keep Christ's pure 
And I think there are many that are trying to do that in some way, subconsciously or otherwise. But there is the element, too, in some of these uh, folks where they're trying to portray this perfection because they don't want to harm the reputations, their power, or their pocketbooks. And so that's an unfortunate and very, very dark side of all of this. Yeah. Oh, boy. Fun times. (laughs) But I find this fascinating. I actually like talking. I find this interesting to talk about. Yeah, me too. And I know a lot of Christians, I don't know, sometimes Christians don't want to talk about these things, which I get when it all came out about Ravi. You know, a lot of people were like, hush, hush, we can't talk about it. But I felt the need to say something, at least on my Facebook, because I always talked about how wonderful Ravi was, how much I admired him. And I'm like, if I'm also not calling out what he did, then that's on me. Like, I can't just be like, oh, this guy's so wonderful. And then when something happens, be quiet about it. That's right. I felt I also need to speak out about it, too. So I think it's important that we do talk about these things. I completely agree with you as well, because you and I are putting into action right now what I was just saying. We are talking about the dirt and the grime in the church. I mean, I'm a pastor. I could be one trying to hide impurities as well, but I don't do that. I want to talk about it. I talk about it from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. I talk about things that I've done wrong myself, which people tell me not a lot of pastors talk about that from the pulpit. I don't know. (laughs) I talk about my own faults and failures. I'll talk about the faults and failures in our own church, our own local church. And I'll talk about the faults and failures of the church universal. And I think it's important. And I I don't focus on that all the time. I mean, I'm bringing a positive message of the gospel. But my point is, I don't try to hide from the sin and the depravity that are not only outside the church, but inside the church. And uh, I think if more pastors and Christian leaders would do that, I think we would see revival in the church, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sermons was one of the pastors at a church I went to. He admitted that he he has a hard time swearing. Like he goes, I swear. And it's something that I struggle with. And I thought that was the realest thing I'd ever heard because I grew up in the Baptist school and and church and everything. And even saying crap and that sucks was bad. And so, <laughs> and I swear sometimes and I'll get certain people be like, Stephanie, you swear. And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> but what did you do? I think we all do it. Or like, so if you say, if you're saying something really hateful about somebody, is that any better than me saying the F word sometimes. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we get all on these kind of things. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, scripture says he is without sin, cast the fern stone, right? Christ said that. And the point of that was not to give us license to sin. The point of that was for us to recognize our own depravity. We, Yeah, we all do things. One person may not swear, but that person may talk about people behind their backs, or that person may not talk about people behind their backs, but maybe they're getting sloshed on Saturday evenings, or maybe they're not getting sloshed on Saturday evenings, but maybe they have impure sexual thoughts about their coworkers. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? I mean, we all are sinners. That's what Romans 3.23 is about. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. We all have those temptations and those things that we struggle with in our lives of faith. For some, like you said, maybe speaking, uh, Letting things come out of our mouths that we wouldn't want to hear, our, wouldn't want our grandmothers to hear us say. <laughs> but everybody has something, and guess what? Everybody has a set of somethings. Uh, to be honest with you, we all have a set of sins with which we struggle, 
And the person that says they don't is simply either lying to themselves or lying to others. Yeah, that's so good. You explain things way better than I do. I'm all like, uh, this thing and what am I talking about? <laughs> that's why you're a pastor. Well, I had a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to get better at public speaking. Although, I mean, I just kind of go with it and I'm a goofball and that's okay. Oh, you're doing great. Oh, well, thank you. I think I say like less like, oh, no, I just did it. But my generation, we say like, like, like all the time. And I even hear it on other podcasts. So I don't feel so bad. Well, here's the reason that I got rid of some of those things. I know I have <laughs> ticks in my speech like anybody else does, but I got rid of a lot of it through a lot of public speaking. Just like experience sets you up to be a good leader, potentially. Mm -hmm. Experience in speaking helps you to be a better public speaker. So I've had people say, hey, how do you become a better public speaker? And I said, you get as many speaking engagements as you can and you say yes to them, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and you go do them. That's how you get better at it. But no, you're, you're doing great. You're a great interviewer. Keep going. Thank you. It's funny. <laughs> when I was a kid and we had to do speeches, I would feel so sick. Like I would just, oh, it was the worst thing ever. And now I actually, like in my last job, I would say, oh, I'll present in front of HR. I mean, I thought it was fun. And I'm like, wow, I changed. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, can we blame leaders or is it the responsibility of a leader for what employees do? Because, you know, you hear like if employees mess up and then they look to who the leader is and they're like, well, this is on you. But they're like, well, the employees did it. It wasn't me that did it. How much of the responsibility can we give to the leader? Right. And so I think you got to bring back, bring this thing full circle and what I mean is we talked about accountability. And I think a leader is to blame if he or she has not set up systems of accountability that keep the employee from falling, that keep the employee from messing up in whatever instance is under consideration. So for example, let's say I have an employee who takes money out of the cash register and we find that out. If the leaders above the leader that's being blamed for this look and they see that the subordinate leader had systems of accountability set up to ensure that employees could not steal or had a hard time stealing from the cash register. Maybe they have two people count the cash register in the night. They uh, have cameras on the register system, et cetera. Then I think, no, the leader is not culpable. The leader is not responsible for the, because the leader has done everything he or she can do to ensure that the employee does not fall, uh, does not make a mistake in that area, does not fall from grace in that area. However, if under review, the subordinate leader has been found to be lax in the accountability of the employees, so no cameras, no system of counting, nothing, the employee is just allowed to do whatever he or she wants to do, and you're just trusting in that person's character alone, then yeah, I think the leader does garner some responsibility in that case. So I think it's a case by case basis. You got to look and say, did the leader do reasonable amount or put in place or a reasonable amount or system of accountability to ensure that the employees walked the straight and narrow, as it were? So you just have to look at each case and see what the, the leader has done or not done to ensure that the employees fall. But we can't control people's character. That's the thing. If someone's going to steal from me, they're going to steal from me. As a leader, I can't stop that. That's a character issue. So that's why it's so important to hire well. That's what I had a 
a supervisor of mine tell me one time when I was taking over her position, she said, I said, what's one thing you could tell me that would help me in this position? She goes, two words, hire well, <laughs> you know, make sure that you're hiring good people that have good character so that if I have good character plus systems of accountability, I can ensure, reasonably ensure that I'm not going to have problems with my employees. If, however, I hire haphazardly and I don't have systems of accountability, then yes, as a leader, I'm culpable if my employees fall to a certain extent. I mean, it's still a character issue. The employee garners most of that burden, assumes most of that burden. But I have to assume some because I did nothing to help that person succeed. Right. I didn't hire the right person and I didn't have systems of accountability in place to ensure success. I no system of accountability or, or very little accountability ensures failure. High systems of accountability ensure success. So accountability is super, super, super important for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> Including toxic leaders, right? I mean, this is why leaders become toxic in most cases is because their leaders aren't holding them accountable. There's a huge problem of toxicity in the United States Army. It's gotten better over the last 10 years, but it's still a problem. And the reason is, is that leaders above these subordinate, toxic subordinate leaders are not holding them accountable through their officer evaluation reports, through letters of reprimand and other things that they, tools that are available to check office, those aren't being utilized. And so these toxic leaders, as you said a little bit ago, they get away with a little thing that's toxic and they go, hey, I got away with that. Let me try something, let me push the boundary a little bit more. Oh, I got away with that too. Let me push it a little bit more. And then over a career, these leaders become toxic because again, they've not been held accountable. Right. What do you think is a, the best way for an employee to approach or handle having a toxic leader? Well, you know, the old adage that my mom used to say all the time was honesty is the best policy. I think having candid conversations with our leaders, though difficult and though dangerous in some cases, can be important and can be effective. What do I mean? If I, have, if I have a toxic leader who's on my case all the time, I think it's, I mean, I'm miserable anyway, right? I mean, if, I, mm-hmm. if this person's truly <laughs> toxic, I'm miserable. Yeah. So going to that person and saying respectfully one-on-one, not in a situation where you embarrass the person or put them on the spot, but maybe a one-on-one office conversation, set up a meeting, whatever, and go into that person's office and say, listen, I just need to talk to you about something. I'm going to bear my heart here. I'm going to bear my soul. I'm going to do it respectfully, but I, there's something that's burdening me and I really need to talk to you about it. That's one approach. And I think for me personally, that's an approach that I've used numerous times in the past. Now I've been burned on that because some toxic leaders, they don't want to hear it. And so I've been burned using that. I've also found a, that a resolution, I came to a resolution with the person and some form of reconciliation through that as well. Uh, sometimes toxic leaders don't know they're toxic. They really don't. And when you identify it to them, some who are mature will take steps to try to correct that. So that's one way. If you're not comfortable with that, most organizations have, well, all organizations in the United States are supposed to have policies through their human resources department to address grievances, grievance policies. And so you can utilize a grievance policy. Now that runs the risk of a supervisor feeling betrayed and then becoming even more toxic. But that's another option. Of course, there's always the option to leave an organization. And I'm not encouraging people to quit. 
But if you're miserable and you don't want to take one of these other options, then you can always move on to something else. As a Christian, I believe we can pray for our supervisors who are toxic as well and, and engage God in the equation and see if God can't uh, work in us and through our supervisor to maybe fix that problem, rectify the toxicity. Mm-hmm. But also, and this is my final thought, we've got to check ourselves because sometimes our perceptions of toxicity may be in error. We may be wrong. Maybe the person's not toxic. Maybe I'm just overly sensitive. Maybe the person's not truly toxic. Maybe I just have an authority problem. Maybe the person's not toxic. Maybe I just was just having a bad day when I perceived toxicity. So we've got to check ourselves and say, you know, objectively, is this a toxic person? Is this a toxic environment? One way we can do that is talk to other employees. We can look at uh, climate surveys that are often done by organizations, see how the leader is faring on the objective data of a climate survey. Well, I guess it's kind of subjective (laughs) because people are answering the question. You know, we can step back from ourselves, take a more objective perspective and say, okay, let me look at this objectively. Is this person actually doing things that are toxic or not? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's important to to point that out. We've got to check our our own perceptions sometimes and, and our own subjective opinions on things and see if are we interpreting toxicity or is there truly toxicity present? Right. I'm glad you said that. I was always more on the side of too sensitive. So if if somebody even looked at me the wrong way, I'm like, why are they looking at me like that? And (laughs) so it's just kind of like where you have to. And even now I have to check myself. I'm like, okay, am I being super sensitive right now? (laughs) Right. I think we all have that tendency to a certain extent. Yeah, that's true. But that's good that you're self-aware enough to do that. Because unfortunately, a lot of people aren't. We get our feelings hurt and we immediately villainize the other person. And that's unfortunate because few people are truly villains. I have a philosophy of life that says people are people and you are people. In other words, we're people just like everybody else. We have our own faults and failures. And so we've got to understand that most people are trying to do the right thing, even if they're not doing the right thing. And so checking our own perspective, yeah, I think that's very important. And we lose sight of that so often, especially online. Like there's such a divide, right? And right. people are like, well, this person sucks and you voted for this person, you're bad. And right. we kind of get caught up in this and it's like, okay, they have their reasons for this, for liking so-and-so or mm-hmm. they have a different point of view. And this is most of us, like you said, yeah, most of us are just, we come from a place of of caring for others or we have different things that we're passionate about. And maybe it just comes across differently or, I mean, who knows, but most of us come from a place of goodness or what we think is goodness or what we're trying, we're just trying to find our way, I guess. Right. Yeah. Most people are not villainous. Most people are not. uh, Right. (laughs) Malfeasance or anything like that. I mean, they're just people trying to make it through this world, struggling in certain areas, finding success in others. And making mistakes along the way. I mean, that's most of us, right? Yeah. Well, I spoke to, uh, actually, funnily enough, I spoke to this guy named David, and he has a podcast, The Graceful Atheist. And he Mm -hmm. was a Christian who became an atheist. So we had a good chat. Yeah, you know what? We all need to have more grace and patience with each other. And I was realizing how much I lack grace. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Yeah. Of all the people, I'm so grateful for people having grace with me because I've been such a brat sometimes. But to keep thinking of that and focusing on that and like, okay, have grace, have grace. 
the the world would be a much better place if we did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I <laughs> I wish I had more grace more often. I mean, people think, well, a pastor, I can't believe he's saying that, right? But I mean, honestly, I mean, even if it's I mean, how many times maybe we don't say or do anything that outwardly demonstrates a lack of grace, but how many times do we have extremely negative thoughts towards someone else and harbor these resentments toward people? And it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, how much better would it be if we could just give people the benefit of the doubt and do what the scripture tells us to do? And that is love everybody, including our enemies, right? But as you intimated a minute ago, that's not what we typically do. We typically get our feelings hurt and then we take it out on others. Well, it's funny when I lived in Toronto and I was on the subway, I mean, everyone's crowded together, but if there was somebody that breathed the wrong way or like touched me accidentally I got so much rage I was like Err. And, <laughs> and I just like I remember going to the opera and there was this guy beside me and I could just hear his loud breathing <laughs> and it's a quiet thing right in between the songs so I was like I got so angry I had to leave <laughs> it's funny how some things will just make us so angry and mad at people and it's usually the minor things yeah. <laughs> How can people find you and reach out to you? So right now, the best place to find me and all my resources, everything that I do social media wise and my books that I've written is www.thecrockradio.com. So T-H-E-C-R-O-C-K-R-A-D-I-O.com. And that's my radio station, WLVADB. The Croc Radio. It's a classic and Christian rock station. So awesome. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Cool, cool. Well, thank you so much, Mark. This was wonderful chatting with you. I learned so much, and you're just, I mean, you're easy to talk to, which I so appreciate. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> well, when sometimes you. you're like, oh no, how am I going to fill this long? And then you're like, oh yeah, an hour went by. It's great. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much. Stephanie's Corner. Stephanie's Corner. Stephanie's Corner. So that was a wonderful chat with Mark that I had. I really enjoyed that. And I just got to say, let's normalize accountability, no matter where it is. Let's hashtag that. Normalize accountability. Normalize accountability in the church, in organizations, in government. How important is it for our leaders to be accountable? They're supposed to be, but they're not. They get away with a lot. I think we need to start doing more. A lot of times we just kind of get blasé. Oh, well, that's the rich and the wealthy for you. They do these things and they get away with it. What can we do? Well, we can keep them accountable. That's super important. So funny story, I actually heard Mark, uh, he was on this podcast called Gangster Capitalism. And on season three, they did a series on Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University. So if you haven't heard of Jerry Falwell Jr., his father was Jerry Falwell. He was huge in the evangelical community. Uh, from what I've heard, the story, like the, the narrative I've heard, he's the reason evangelicals started having to vote Republican and now it's just a thing. 
where like if you don't they're like you're evil um at least that's like what i was raised with you have to be conservative you can't be uh you have to be conservative republican to be a christian or to be a christian you have to vote i don't know one of those anyway Falwa was huge in that he was not necessarily somebody that i look up to but a lot of people do so he started liberty university in west virginia and his son kind of saved it i guess from going bankrupt or from falling failing uh but he got involved in sex scandals and alcohol and silly things so uh mark was there working at liberty university at the time and so he was very much aware of all these situations and go listen to that podcast they have amazing not amazing like not good amazing like terrible sad stories especially of the women who got sexually assaulted and raped and the school did nothing thanks to purity culture which has a reputation for shaming women like what were you wearing what were you drinking you know that kind of thing that's the environment i grew up in as well purity culture so that is a wonderful series that gangster capitalism did they did a wonderful job so i heard mark speak on there and i messaged him on this website where podcasters could find guests and i said you did such a great job that was awesome and he goes oh do you want me to come on your podcast i'm like okay cool so mark is an awesome person and we're actually working on our own we're we're working on a project together hoping to do our own joint podcast um so mark is a super busy guy i don't know how he does it all oh and his radio station his online radio station he's going to start posting my podcasts so if you're in the if you're listening to the the crack radio station check it out all right you guys i so appreciate you listening thank you so much If you really want to support the podcast, if you can subscribe, rate and review, it helps other people find it and get the word out there. If you want to follow me on the socials, you can find me on the Twitter at Steph underscore and underscore web. You can find me on Instagram at Steph up underscore podcast. My two websites, Steph up podcast.com, Stephanie That one's for my book. Or you can email me at Steph up podcast at gmail.com. So yeah, my book is called What's Dragon Do? It's a children's book that's just coming out. That just came out, sorry. And it's a, it's a story of living with people and handling the tiny situations that make us angry and what should we do. And uh, yeah, so that's actually something I need to be... <laughs> I need to be re, reassessing. The last few weeks have been so stressful and just having a good attitude can be very difficult and I can feel the swear words come back so uh it's hard though you know I mean I I, that was always my go-to is going negative like I can't do this life sucks and that was my narrative so over the last two years I've been working on changing that but the last month or so has been super stressful and I've just been kind of feeling myself go back there and I have to fight it so follow the path right don't get discouraged follow the path keep on going you can do this so we're all in this together i know that's so cliche now but it's true so anyways thank you so much you guys i hope you go out there and make it a great day bye